from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. And hello everyone, I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, the sports editor for the newspaper, bringing you a new edition of the Red Raider Podcast, which means we're bringing in a couple of local celebrities in for some Red Raider chatter, that being football, basketball, or any other athletic sport at the Division One program here in Lubbock. So to talk, we've got Ryan King, KLBK sports reporter, John Sokolov, Fox 34 sports reporter. How's it going, fellas? It took a little bit of time to get you all because you got a lot of agents. I know, I know. You know, the, the contract negotiations, um, you know, very, uh, very tough, but we, we made it. Everyone, everyone says papers are struggling, but the amount that they shilled out to bring each of us in for this podcast, choose you guys are you guys are obviously doing pretty well to get, to grab us. Well, I was going to say the Arctic water. I didn't know about that with, with both of you asking for all this like fancy water Perrier. Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of it. Mm-hmm. You I'm have a it? Voss guy. I like Voss. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I know it's sitting right in front of you. So, so uh, of course, uh, it's going to be a little bit more fun. This podcast, typically, me and Don obviously do uh, one on Wednesdays. We're going to. Talk a little bit about the Baylor game, at least previewing that. And then we're going to obviously uh, talk a little bit about the big upset win. I don't like the term upset. I thought Texas Tech played about as well as you could have, frankly. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that one over the weekend. And then we'll get to some Twitter questions, as me and Don typically do. Don usually gets a little bit more Twitter questions because he's got more followers. I'm sure you guys have a little bit of thoughts on followers. But Don obviously uh, isn't, isn't verified, but he's got 12,000 followers, so... Don, Don is first team unverified on the Twitter sphere, I, I agree would with say. That. Well, there's also, how do people know it's him, you know? Well, that's a good He's not point. verified. There could be all sorts of fake Don Williams out there. Well, that, that's a, that is very There's true. only one Don Williams. I'm sure UCF made a bunch of burner accounts. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Well, Boise State apparently uh, really that, likes that's him. That's the new school to do it. He's pretty vindicated on UCF right now, though. That he is. And then, of course, Ryan King. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit about you guys as well because uh, we're going to try and make this a recurring segment every Tuesday where we get you guys on a little bit more energy, a little bit more different view takes because I know me and Don, we have our – curmudgeon-y looks at the things as, as we normally do. You guys obviously a little bit more uh, bubbly. I think that's a, a perfect bubbly. word for for uh, Ryan. I think, uh, I'm trying to think of a word for John right now, but uh, athletic, I think it's probably the one. Athletic, very, very, very athletic. athletic he's very say. tall. You can't teach that. Nope. <laughs> but, uh, Got range. But again, appreciate you guys coming. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Red Raiders. I, I think uh, when everyone kind of looks at what Texas Tech football was about to do, Right now, with their record, is this what you guys expected when Texas Tech would be at 1-1 and in the Big 12 and 3-2 and overall? Isn't it so crazy how football is such like a, has so many week-to-week narratives? Yes. I mean, okay, let's look at the first two weeks. There wasn't really much because every year you play teams that aren't very good from the FCS. Well, maybe they're good at the FCS, but they don't compare to the Power 5 level, right? Yeah. And then after that, you know, you play against Arizona. Bowman goes down. Okay, um, we'll see what we have with these backup quarterbacks, but it's not looking good. Then you get pummeled by OU. Season's over. What's Matt Wells' job security? Some fans are even that irrational. And then, you know, this week, they really... You you talked about not as much of an upset, but I really would. I mean, not fully argue against that, but a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog to a a, a ranked team like OSU, I I think that was a... No one really predicted Tech to win that game. Well, for what it's worth, I'm not... uh... Not gonna, not gonna brag, but in our weekly forecast, I did pick Oklahoma State. You you picked against you picked against Oklahoma State. I picked against Oklahoma. Oh State. wow! I told you guys at the Thursday football lunch, I think Tech would cover. Yes. I didn't say they'd necessarily yes. win, but I did think they'd cover. But I mean, that was. 
did, could anybody have expected even those defensive injuries that they saw, but just the pressure they were able to get on Spencer Sanders? Well, I, I know for sure Don talked about it, but the fact that they were able to not only win, but win the way that they did. You had all the injuries. You, you have your backup quarterback, essentially, reserve quarterback, Jet Duffy. Yes, he did play in Big 12 games last year, did show that he can win you some games, did show that he can lose you some games. But here, here are some things that really made me feel like Texas Tech is – not, I, I shouldn't say it's going to be a flip-the-switch type moment because this is certainly something that Matt Wills has to build. He's continued to say that. Yes, I know he did use the term reload instead of rebuild. I think everyone's realizing what he has now. But the fact that they did not turn the ball over, that being Jet Duffy, he was efficient with the football. When there was a chance that he could have maybe thrown into some traffic, he didn't. When he did, he threw with intent, that being a Kashawn Carter pass in that corner, TJ Vasher at the end uh, of the end zone. He threw it into places that only those two guys could have caught it. So that just shows a little bit better knowledge of the offense, a better knowledge of how he can throw the ball, much better confidence from him. And I think, uh, I can't remember uh, who said it at the availability. I don't know if it was Travis Bruffy or some other guys, either after the game, post-game. But he's just showing a different maturity about himself. And I think that's the biggest thing that you see from Jed Duffy. It's not the poor decision-making. It's just a maturity. He understands what his talents are and what he is to this offense. And I think David Yo said it best. He has athleticism. He can run with the football. But if you have a pass, make the pass. If you don't have the pass, use your athleticism. I thought that's what he did so much so much better than he's done in previous starts. Yeah, let me go back to what you asked at the beginning there. What, this is what we expected. I will say, I expect them to be 3-2. and two. Really? I did not expect them to be 1-1 one in one conference because I expected them to beat Arizona and lose okay. to Oklahoma State. That's fair. I thought they'd, So I have been pleasantly surprised what we saw against Oklahoma State. But I was also pretty disappointed because I don't think that Arizona team is that great. Even with Khalil Tate in there, I don't think they're a great team. They definitely are not a great defense. To only score 14, that's yes. what really bothered me. Giving up 28, especially, you know, one's a broken run for 80 yards. That That's going to happen. But one and one, I was with Don last week when I listened. I think yeah. Oklahoma State, going into this game, I thought they were a really good team. I loved mm-hmm. how they played against Texas. They had looked good. That offense... It wasn't just Hubbard. I mean, he looked really good, but Spencer mm-hmm. Sanders was not looking like a freshman. Mm-hmm. Tylen Wallace looks like the Blitnikoff finalist he was last year. Like yep. they a looked, three-headed monster there for sure. Yes, yes. and I, I agreed with Don. He does his real top 25. Of course, I do my fake one on Twitter every week. <laughs> King's Things. King's, yeah, King's <laughs> top 25. <laughs> yes. Carlos calls it King's Things. Yes. Don calls it King's Ratings. But yes. I had Oklahoma State pretty high up there as well. Probably not quite. I think Don's at number 15. I believe so, yeah. Quite, not quite that high. But I thought they were a legitimate team. I thought that offense was a lot better than I expected. The The defense we knew was not going to be good, but they were scoring at such a rapid rate. I thought, man, Tech gave up 28 to Arizona. You prorate that for Oklahoma State, they're going to score in the 40s. Um, but with Jet Duffy, with what you were saying, I completely agree. He was a 59% completion this last game at 424 yards. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk about him as a, a dual-threat guy, and he can run. But to me, he looked as good of a pocket passer as he had – as he has since he's come to Texas Tech. You mentioned the Keyshawn Carter touchdown and the Vasher touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Those were great throws. Back of the end zone corner and then back middle. Those were throws that you can't really ask for any better from no matter who's in there, whether it's Duffy, Bowman, mm-hmm. anyone. So I thought one of the biggest – I mean, he got Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week and all that. Uh, but deservingly yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. And Duffy looked really good. Again, he did. It, it is week to week because against Oklahoma, people are going to say, well, he didn't look very good. This week he did. Here's my thing about Oklahoma – I what I was saying in our sportscast when fans were freaking out on Twitter. I don't think Oklahoma is a game you can 
you can judge your team against. They're a top five or six team in the country. Tech is obviously not there. Well, also, mm-hmm. just think about the dysfunctional quarterback situation in that, too. You're playing two mm-hmm. different guys. I mean, no one's going in there with mm-hmm. confidence. Absolutely. You're going in there. You're playing against a team that's a college football playoff contender. You're going up there. Okay, well, the, my coach doesn't even have enough confidence in me to make sure that I'm, mm-hmm. like, to say that I'm fully the guy. Like, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to do it? And I, I was there. It was a very harsh environment, too. I mean, they were not set up to uh, have a good result there. Well, and, here's the thing, too, and sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, yeah. but me and Don talked about it. Oklahoma's going to probably whip a couple other teams this year just to kind of pile on to your point. Number two, Jackson Tyner played at Rice. Didn't Probably has not seen a crowd like that because I know Conference USA, since UTEP does play in it, the Sun Bowl is 55,000. That has not been filled to 55,000 every time Rice has played there. Rice you don't say. has a huge, big stadium as well. <laughs> I could guarantee you that has not been filled up other than maybe if another team has played there mm-hmm. other than Rice. So that is a very, very tough situation to get in, get into. And then even then, when you talk to the coaches, th- this is what kind of surprised me a little bit. They still felt, not to say that they would have won the game, but they felt like there were some small little teaching moments that they could have fixed to maybe not make it as crazy because I I can't remember what the score was that Keith Patterson said, but there was one busted coverage that he said if they would have made the play, they could have forced a fourth down. It was the third and 17 early. Yeah, Yeah. and then it would have been like 20 to 10, Mm -hmm. I believe, going into the half. And again, not saying that you win the game, but two possessions is a lot better than obviously what the final result was. And going to Oklahoma State, I know you talk about the defense being bad. My thing was, Yes, their offense is good, but they were all big plays. The fact that Texas Tech held them, and I think even Douglas Coleman mentioned this after the po- during postgame, they held all the vertical routes in front of them, did not allow them to make a big play. The mm-hmm. biggest plays were by Ch- uh, Ch- Chuba? Chuba. Yeah, Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I believe they were like runs of 20 and maybe 30-plus uh, yards. Those are the big. Those are the big plays. I mean, there there was that one big one where you obviously threw the ball up and you got lucky and you got that touchdown. But that was how Oklahoma State kind of lived: big plays. And if you held them to not big plays, Texas Tech was able to find eventually that rhythm, which Jet Duffy has found. And I think that was the key: was they held them away from the big plays, which is unfortunately what you're going to give up against Oklahoma. You certainly cannot do that against Baylor going into this week. But any other final thoughts from Oklahoma State? I just think. Jet Duffy, just the turnaround that he has had, it's based on a couple of things. This is the quick thing I wanted to get to. Last week, you go into Oklahoma, that harsh environment. Jet Duffy's been buried on the depth chart, who was unofficially behind Maverick McIver, unofficially behind or just behind Jackson Tyner, then thrown into the fire, not really all that confidence, and and the defense is getting torched. He was set up to fail in that game, right? So then this week, you go in there, a full week of preparation, you're, you know, you're adjusting more to this offense, this David Yost offense. And, and I mean, he's – and the coaching staff saying that they've got confidence in him being the guy. I think a lot of it, though, I think this type of offense is so much more suited for Jet than what, um, what Cliff ran. Because Cliff so much more was up to improvising, sitting, like sitting back in the pocket, taking shots – we really did not see Jet take that many deep shots downfield. The one time where he really had to emphasize, or, or you know, he just like closer to the end of the game, the Eric Izukama play that was that was big. But besides that, they did not take that many. And maybe that was good for him. He just took you know really quick 
just those quick passes. They were getting rid of the ball quickly, and that's a David Yost type of offense. That And not only does that benefit Jet, but it benefits a banged-up offensive line because if you're getting rid of the ball quickly, it makes their job easier. Well, not only that, but then it helps your run game just that little bit because you, obviously the defense isn't cheating on you that much. But I, I would venture to argue, and I've, I've told this to Don as well, the, off, the offense may be a little bit more simplified because you're trying to perfect a small amount of plays compared to where Alan Bowman has said it on multiple occasions, the difference between the offenses, not to say that either one is better or worse, but Cliff is trying to beat you with a multitude of plays, whereas David Yost, as me and Don have talked about, like a Mike Leach offense, you have like 10 plays. I'm making up this number. I'm sure there's more, but 10 plays, you execute them to perfection when they're tired, when you see an advantage, you run that play to perfection or you execute it. No question. And you get the play, which there were some times as – Coach Matt Wells said, I'll bring up Kashawn Carter again and T.J. Vasher. Guys around Jet were playing better. The offensive line played better for him. He had time in the pocket to make some progression reads. There were times where he had a where he had time to look right, look left, decide to run, or stay in the pocket a little bit. That's huge for them. If they're able to do that the rest of the year, I'm not saying that they're going to win a lot of games, but that certainly puts Jet in a much better position to where two or three maybe four seconds into the snap, he's basically running for his life and trying to make a decision at that point. Instead of, you know you have about five seconds to look at the defense, see what you're given, and then not only that, but then diagnose what you have and make a play. And I thought that's what he did against Oklahoma State. Well, and one other note that the coaches have mentioned, the players have mentioned, they were talking with Alan Bowman. They weren't going to let him you know, throw as much downfit or unleash him early in the game. So can you imagine Jet Duffy coming in to Oklahoma you know, they, it's going to take time. So you were saying late in the game, I think they're finally getting more comfortable. They're going to take some shots. That Let game was also take some shots. In, in hand more, so mm-hmm. I think they want to test him out. But also Bowman wasn't even really allowed to throw downfield a lot. So Duffy, just in his second game, late in the game, maybe they're just getting more comfortable to let him do that. And we'll right. see as the games go forward. And the defense really gave him so much momentum. Those first mm-hmm. couple possessions, Tech's offense didn't do anything. Then they get takeaway, takeaway, three and out, pressure on Sanders, the crowd getting into it. I think that really fueled uh, fueled jet in a much more structured offense it seems like with this and they're kind of like giving him a little more leeway as the plays and season goes on well the other interesting thing and i think don had brought this up when we were talking with david yost i want to say three three or four weeks ago maybe a month but uh, david yost had said the way that progressions work in this offense is you look downfield first and you go back so depending on if you see something that could be big that's when you kind of see those downfield throws and again it just goes to the maturity factor the fact that the decision making is a little bit better if you checking down more too yeah exactly checking down like there is nothing wrong with that because you got a guy in Sir Roderick Thompson that is really kind of stepped up his game out of the backfield being able to make catches make a few guys miss and maybe a three-yard catch is a 15-yard gain you know so those are certainly some big things that we were able to see from Oklahoma State. I know uh, Ryan is happy that the Packers beat the Cowboys, but there's a, another team that used to play, or two teams that used to play at AT&T Stadium, that being Texas Tech and Baylor, but they're actually going to be playing at McLean Stadium for the first time since 2007. McLean Carter got a stadium named after him? He may big have. Things, I mean, big thing. I mean, that's what happens when you go to Rutgers, right? You get a big... <laughs> Big-time starting quarterback right there, and you get your get, get a nice name after that. But, of course, uh, McLean Stadium, the home of the Baylor Bears, who are now ranked in the top 25, a huge accomplishment for Matt Rule, who, of course, at one point inherited a program where he had had to endure a 1-11 season. Now, of course, they are undefeated going into this game. They are ranked number 22. And I guess just for you all, when you kind of look at least initially – 
at what this matchup is, what's the first thing you think of when you see Texas Tech and Baylor? I mean, something that I love about and I was saying this in the offseason, the number one thing I look at with Baylor is I think not only were they an underrated team, I think Charlie Brewer is one of the more underrated players in the conference. Hayden into the year, I think at worst, at the absolute worst, I think he's the third best quarterback in the conference. I think you have Jalen Hurts. I think you have arguably Ellinger, Sam Ellinger of Texas, and you have Charlie Brewer. I think he's right there with them. And he and Mims are such a great duo. Something that I was looking up this week, everyone talks about CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Hurts and everything. People don't know, Mims has one less receiving yard than CeeDee Lamb right now. I know it's still early in the year and everything. Mims, and they they haven't had a a super tough schedule at Baylor, but Oklahoma hasn't either. But Mims is doing well. Brewer has 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions, ranked fifth in the conference as far as yard per completion, which is... Obviously, it's right in the middle, but he's a great quarterback. I don't think it's talked about enough. Matt, I just think they're overall very underrated. Mims, one of the better receivers. Charlie Brewer, one of the better quarterbacks. And Matt Rule, one of the better coaches. And none of them are really talked about. Well, that offense also, Matt Wells talked about it yesterday at the presser. You know, no margin for error really on that offense. They don't make yep. many mistakes. That's a sign of being a really good coach. I mean, this guy was a finalist to be the Jets head coach. So, you know, he's... He knows what he's doing, but defensively, I mean, the number one scoring defense in the Big 12, mm-hmm. they've got guys that can get to the quarterback, um, and that's, that, that's where it really comes key with Tech. I mean, that defense at Baylor is really good, but that's what you talked about again more with the progressions with Jet. Get the ball out quickly. Check it down a little bit. Just get the offense in a rhythm, in a little bit of a flow. Don't make, You can't afford to make too many mistakes, especially on the road uh, against a team that's got a lot of uh, just talent. They've got a lot of momentum and swagger. Well, I think the one interesting factor that was kind of brought up, and to answer my question, I suppose, is when you see Baylor and Texas Tech, you think two passing aerial attacks. It's totally opposite of that. Now, yes, Texas Tech is still an aerial attack, if you will, but Baylor is now that, as Matt Wells called it, Big Ten offense. Not to take anything away from it, but Matt Rule beefed up the offensive line, beefed up the defensive line, got some good running backs that can kind of obviously – get into the middle of the line. Yeah, they're running back by penalty. committee like Tech. Absolutely, and, and that's one thing that you have to have to take, take a, a little bit of a gander at is they've got five guys that have at least 125 yards or more rushing. Mm-hmm. That, include, that including Charlie Brewer, who I know you're talking about the underratedness. He, he's known as a pocket passer, but he's got a little bit of legs, so he can run if needed. So that's one thing that may kind of be a bugaboo for Tech is you kind of have to account for him, but you're not going to have to account for him like the last couple, or I shouldn't say last couple, I should say last three weeks when you got Jalen Hurts, Spencer Sanders, Cleo Tate, where literally Jordan Brooks was watching each of them. And maybe that's why he was able to get those 19 tackles last week, which is obviously a huge feat for him. But I think uh, one thing that Texas Tech will have to do is really, really kind of shut down this wide receiver core for Baylor because I think it's certainly an underrated one. Uh, Just with Denzel Mims, I know as you mentioned, Ryan, but I think uh, it's not going to be a passing attack. I think it's going to be a game where this could be under the 30s. I really feel like this is a game where if Texas Tech is able to hold Baylor to under 20 points, I think they could win this one. I've said it before in every Big 12 conference game, maybe minus a couple of teams just because of the way that things have kind of shaken out. If you hold a team to under 30, I think you've got a good chance to win a game in the Big 12. You know what's funny is when you bring up the lines, I think both lines, both line matchups are going to be really key in this one with Look at Texas Tech's offensive line, for mm-hmm. example. They lost, in, Makeshift. In, in my opinion, the best player on the team in Jack Anderson. Mm-hmm. And now they're going up against James Lynch, who John mentioned they have a lot of – he has six on the season that's so far. first in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. he lines mm-hmm. up in the middle, and Jack was a guard. I mean, that, that's going to be a very big key to keep Jet comfortable, like John was mentioning earlier. But on the flip side, 
you mentioned, Carlos, and you're right, the running game is big for Baylor. But if you're looking at matchups, you know, people just try to look at how good is a team versus another one, but you actually have to see how they match up. That actually max, matches up pretty well with Tech because you can see the strength of their defense is there at the front. The linebackers yep. and the D-line is what is leading them, getting, that, getting all that pressure on Spencer Sanders. If they can shut down that run and make Charlie Brewer uncomfortable and only throw it, they're going to be set up really well. So I think it's very interesting to see how the Tech O-line responds to losing Jack and now going up against such – one, probably the best tackle they've played so far. And on the flip side, how the Tech front seven, how they do against stopping the run of Baylor. I think the lines are going to be huge in this one. Yeah, I mean, Matt Wells said yesterday, games are won in the battle of the trenches. But we need to talk more about this defense because, yeah, Jordan Brooks, 19 tackles, three sacks. A couple other guys, Tony Bradford had a sack for the Red Raiders, um, a, a few others as well. This defense was, was really, really good. Maybe maybe playing a little over their head to start out because if Oklahoma State gets that two-point conversion last week, it's, it's a one-possession game with four minutes left, yeah. and then things really change. Now, you know, you know, Tech won, but we can't expect them to get five turnovers every week. We can't expect them as a team to get six or six-and-a-half sacks or whatever they had. That's just not realistic. So how this defense responds, it's, it's not going to play you know, like the best defense in the country every week, but if they're able to at least contain Charlie Brewer and... and you know, play to somewhat of their standards. But look at all the guys that are down. Adrian Fry, is he going to be back? Thomas Leggett, will he be back? What about um, Des Smith? Mm-hmm. All probably not. That's a big, mm-hmm. big hit to the secondary. And then, of course, you have a half. I believe Rico Jeffers is going to be out. Yeah, so who? Like Evan Ramble will play, maybe? Yeah. I mean, but he's a guy who hasn't been out there too much, so it's a defense that hasn't seen been there that much. I've been impressed with what they've been able to do with the scheme, but that's a, that's a big test on the road against a ranked opponent as banged up as they are. It's a big test, but the thing is, is you've had guys that have stepped up, as you mm-hmm. kind of alluded to, Tony Bradford, a freshman, Alex Hogan, a freshman that stepped up. You've got guys that can make plays. It's just a matter of can you contain, and I think that was really the word that stuck out to me, and not only that, but respond. I think that's what you saw out of this team that maybe, again, I really hate doing this because I, I'm sure there's going to be people that say, oh, love Cliff, or the other people that hated Cliff, or the people that don't like Matt Wells, blah, blah, blah. I think the one thing that maybe we didn't see in the previous regime is a response. Two-game losing streak, you got embarrassed in both, so to speak. You got embarrassed with the 99-yard, basically run the football on you from Arizona. Then, of course, Oklahoma, you, you know what happened there. Matt Wells and some of the players felt like they didn't really fight, I suppose, if, if that's the correct word, uh, toward the end. So there was a players-only meeting, things were said, and there was a response. And I think the response was, we want to prove that we are not the same type of team that we have been before. And I think that's what they did was they played with their hair on fire, as you alluded to, John. I think if they come out with that same type of fire... And they need to. That's going to be huge because, one, they're 0-2 on the road, so that's one thing to kind of keep in mind. They have to obviously prove that they can win on the road because if you can win on the road and you steal one on the road, if you're undefeated at home, that means a pretty good postseason uh, potential for you. And, so, and block party as well, yes, big time. Keg stands all around. Uh, well, I, I feel free. I'm, I'm not sure on that. But. You're more of a, a craft beer kind of sitting down IPA kind of guy. He's classy. I am not an IPA guy. No, too, no. too, too gross. Too gross. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have them just to put the on the untapped. On the old app. What did just, we What did we have the other night that you um Oh lord! You, you um at the bar the other night you uh, you recommended some beer to me. And it was like a oh jeez, 
You're, it was really good. The Crawford Bach. The Crawford Bach, yeah. Yes. Delicious. Yes. Sorry if they don't spot. This is some free advertising, well, but it was so good. It, it, it's uh, from Houston. I can't remember the name of the brewery, but it's a Houston brewery. It's good stuff. But uh, kind of back to some stuff that obviously people are kind of watching on the field instead of kind of enjoying their cold one in the stands. Uh, Texas Tech, in terms of what we can expect from them, I think the effort has to be there, as you mentioned, John. When you're on the road, you have to kind of build your own energy, which a lot of the players have said that might be the one key for them. It sounds simple, but when you got people that aren't trying to ramp you up on a third down, which is what Texas Tech had, yes, there were some third downs where maybe they didn't get it, but they still had it the next third down. So it kind of gives you a little bit of juice. You're not going to get that against Baylor. Not only that, but Baylor's not going to give you anything. You're going to have to, as Matt Wells said, some of the interceptions were – created by the defense some you get like some there's a fumble a miss handoff or something texas tech created some of those and of course douglas coleman who now has, who now has five interceptions to lead the country at the moment has been a huge part of that and he alluded to the defensive line being i mean the, the d-line's everything battle Absolutely. the trenches i mean that's what he talks about right yeah so i think that's going to be the big key there for them uh for you guys when you kind of see this matchup what do you think is going to be the difference here are some x factors that people can kind of watch out for i mean you kind of you took it right there carlos honestly look at baylor they've had three turnovers all fumbles they have not thrown a pick yet Tech, on the other hand, as many as they forced, you talked about uh, Doug Coleman having five interceptions. They're still negative one on the season. Yeah. But when you look at this one, I, I do agree with John to a certain extent that they're not going to get five turnovers every game. They're not going to be this lockdown defense that's getting the ball back that consistently all the time. But I do like what Matt Wells said, that a lot of them were takeaways. They were not given to them. The first one, you could argue, was off the hands of a receiver, fell right to Doug. He was in the right place. But the two fumbles, the last Doug pick... Um, the last Doug pick was because the defensive line, I believe it was Bradford, yeah. that hit Spencer Sanders when he threw it. And then yeah. he jumped it. And then the, the DeMarcus Fields one was a, was a great pick. So the turnovers are going to be huge as far as Tech cannot still be in the – therefore, like, I think it's tough. People feel like they're getting so many turnovers, and they are, but they're still negative on the season. And when you're going up against a team like Baylor that doesn't turn over very often, you're going to have to force those takeaways. And I do think they've done a good job. That It doesn't feel like they're a team because sometimes teams do get turnovers. They get mm-hmm. kind of lucky. It doesn't feel like that's how Tech has been. It feels like for the most part they are forcing them. When you see Broderick Washington get in there grabbing the fumble and the whole D-line's jumping in on Sanders, you see DeMarcus Fields pick it off. Like, yeah, they're getting pressure on him, but they're forcing those, and there's no way, there's no reason they can't do that against Brewer as well. You know, right. especially when – They've thrown zero picks, and Jet Duffy, I know so far he's looked good. At some point, he's going to throw some. At, mm-hmm. at some point. Well, once they get more pattern. lenient with him and he takes yes. more shots, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, that, that's where it does. But I, I agree with you. I, I think it is – also, it all starts with the defensive line, especially when it comes to how banged up the secondary is. Because yes. if you're not getting pressure on them and Brewer has even four or five seconds to throw, mm-hmm. one of their receivers is, is – someone will get open. Now, I don't know if they'll get the same pressure that they got on Sanders – Last week that they will this week, but that's the key for this defense to stay afloat. Get pressure on Charlie Brewer. Baylor does a good job of protecting him. Get pressure on him. This D-line has been head, like unbelievable this season, way better than we all thought it could be. And Rico being out, I mean, Carlos, that's a, that's big. I, that's a big loss. He's, he doesn't get the numbers that Jordan does, but he's a great complimentary piece. He and knows where him, to be. Not getting him for the first half. That is big in this game. Like I, I think a lot of fans, you don't hear his name a lot, so they don't realize how big that can be. He is a very valuable team to be a linchpin in that defense. So I, it's very curious to see who's going to step up and if they can 
if they can supplement him with Jordan Brooks to start the game off because you get him back in the third quarter, but if you've already given up 150 rushing yards and two or three touchdowns on the ground, it's tough to stop that kind of momentum or you're already in too big of a hole even if you do stop it. So I, I think that's a big thing to look for there in the first half. Is your third leading tackler uh, by mm-hmm. one to Douglas Coleman, that being Rico Jeffers. So tough one there for Texas Tech, and not only that, but Thomas Leggett, your fourth uh, leading tackler as well. So a lot, lot of guys will be out for Texas Tech. Uh, anything else you guys want to mention before we get to the old Twitter questions, which, of course, are the highlight of my day because sometimes they make fun of me, they make fun of Don, or sometimes they ask an actual decent question that makes me think. There you go. Um, I just think comes down to Texas D-line. I think Yost will be conservative and, you know, not have a, as long of a leash as the game goes for Duffy. Offensively, I'm not as concerned, but um, D-line getting pressure, that's what it's going to come down to, and, and Baylor's been really disciplined this year, so I don't like Tech's chances Saturday at all. Really? So what's I mean, the line? Anyone know the line? I think it's 10. So it's 10 again. Really? I believe so. That's what I saw, something like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I feel the same way, but I think that Texas Tech has something going with Jet Duffy in terms of his ability to run. And they didn't really exploit that against Oklahoma State because I feel like they thought they had something by, by throwing the ball above some of the defenders for Oklahoma State. Baylor's got a couple good ones. So I'm going to say that they're going to try and run Duffy a little bit more, which is a little counterintuitive because what do you have after Duffy if he does get hurt? you got Jackson Tyner and then... Nothing. you got Xavier, Xavier Martin. Martin. You've got Xavier Martin, who's a wide receiver or a quarterback in high school turned wide receiver, turned wide receiver, turned quarterback. So Duffy did mention the fact that he obviously has to know to take care of himself, but I think this is a situation where if you need some advantages, I think Duffy can give you that because I thought that was really what changed. I know it didn't show on the scoreboard, but when Duffy did get in there and Oklahoma knew that they had to kind of account for him running, they weren't all up in the box. They were a little bit back, and I thought that provided a little bit of spacing when they did get some of those smaller passes or shorter passes, as John was alluding to. And I think Tech has a chance, but I do agree with you. It's going to be tough for them to get a road win, but should be interesting to see how they kind of take that challenge and see what they do. So let's get to some Twitter questions. Oh, baby. The first one, Charlie Airfield asking how – Oh. And, of course, some good podcasting. I have to find it because it went away. You want me to read it? Oh, do you have it? I do. How are they going to improve upon third down conversions? They were pitiful on Saturday and haven't converted on third and 10 or more this season. All right. So when I saw this question, one thing popped into mind. I'll, I'll answer it actually here in a second. Here's my first thing. If you ask Coach Wells, if you ask any head coach in the country, there's no magic play call. I don't think they're saying, hey, how do we convert third and ten or longer? I think you're, their first response would be say, Coach, you're not, you haven't converted any third and ten or longer. You know what he would say? We shouldn't be in third and ten. No, yeah. How you convert third and tens are on first and second down getting some yards and making them thirds and shorts. There's no specific offense or anything you're going to change for third and tens. So I think that's... It's already a tough question from the beginning. No one wants to be in that position. Yes. So it's really tough to say, man, they haven't converted any third and tens. Well, not many offenses are going to be proficient on third and ten or longer. But when you look at the team, first of all, they're converting at 40% on third towns. Not great. 62nd in the country. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at third Last in the down, Big 12. Last in the Big 12. The thing you're going to look at in these type of games is you, you have to, on the first couple downs, if you just run it every time, you have to make it short because if you do get to third and tens consistently, it's tough for a team like this when, yes, Jet Duffy has shown more consistency downfield. He's had better throws. 
but it's going to be different when the defense knows it's coming. When it's third and 12, and they know he has to get 12 to 13 yards, it's, it just it, – that this offense is not built that way. No, you mentioned 100%. They're, they're under passes. So, yes, every now and then you can throw an underpass and someone breaks it for 15, 20 yards. But in general, when they do those, they're trying to set up for an easier punt. No, so, yeah. with the question is what can they do on third and 10 or longer – it's about the early downs. It has nothing to do with those long plays because no coach in the Lincoln Riley is not sitting there going, I can't wait till we're in third and 13 so I can unleash this play. So I, I wouldn't expect them to get a whole lot better on third and 10 or longer. It's getting earlier, getting the running backs going in these games, making this O-line, which that's, it all goes back to that, get the offensive line more experienced. They're going to make more room for Shine, Sir Roderick, like Carlos was talking about, and that's how you avoid third and 10s. I think it's just still a growing process with Jet and this offense, right? I mean, that's... That's what they're doing now, and I asked Wells about it yesterday. How do you get better on third down? They were 2-13 of um, Saturday. They were 1-14 for against Oklahoma, and he said, oh, we'll be fine. You know, we just got to get in better situations, whatever. I think it just comes down to their leniency again with Jet because he's still even really, like, getting a a better grasp of this offense as the days go by, but he's not 100% well-versed on it yet. How could he be? He's only been running it for two weeks, and they've been getting more lenient with him. You saw the the big attempt on McLean Mannix when he went up the seam, and and he missed the catch. Uh, But besides that, they don't take many deep shots. So when they're at third and long, it's tough for them to convert. But as he gets more well-acquainted with this offense, I really don't think that's going to be that big of a deal. Well, here's the thing that people are forgetting. Alan Bowman would still be in this situation, too, learning this Mm -hmm. offense. He obviously is not going to be learning that. He's going to be obviously watching, cheering uh, for this team for probably the next several weeks up until he does get a little bit better and can potentially uh, maybe start or get his job back. Because the thing is, is like how I know people keep asking, when's Allen coming back? My question is, if Jet Duffy's rolling, do you put Allen back? That's the thing. So obviously we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, the I mean, what, question, what has Bowman really showed to really just make people fully believe, okay, this is his team right now? All he's really shown, he's shown just all the potential in the world. But th- there hasn't been many moments. And yeah, he's been unhealthy, so I'm not saying he can't reach this. But I don't think he's fully earned the spot of, okay, this is his job, that's it, no matter who plays well, this is Alan Bowman's team. Well, he did beat two teams. He beat uh, Montana State, and he beat uh, UTEP. Wow. So he got miners. those two wins. Got Go Miners. Wins. The Miners won win last year over Rice. Rice team where Jackson Tyner was not the starter, but yeah. He was well, not. I, not, to be a, you know, not to be a contrarian, but I do agree with John there. I mean, Alan Bowman's been talked up a lot because he looked good a lot of the games last season. But if you do look at what he's done this year, if Jet plays even similar to Oklahoma State the rest of the way, I wouldn't see why you would take him out and put in Bowman, especially because, like they've talked about, we have no idea when Allen could be coming back. And as this team, I can promise you, they're not thinking about when can we get Allen back out here. Because if you do that and he comes back week nine and you've lost every game between them, then it doesn't matter if he's back or not. So when people ask when is he going to be back, I agreed with John. I First of all, I think at this point, with how Jet played last week, he's going to have to play himself out of the position, first of all. But secondly, they no have question. to focus on what they have. I love that Don keeps bringing up the potential of redshirting him. I don't yes. know why you wouldn't. Well, I mean, you got four games. Yeah, well, like, why not? At this point? Now, if he comes back next week, that's different. But if he's coming back later in the season, mm-hmm. then I, I understand it you know, a lot more. If there's three games to go and he can play in two of them, then sure. Or one of them, you know, whatever it is. But I, I agree. I think Jet, a lot of people were negative on him. I mean, he lost out to, to Tyner, as we're mm-hmm. talking about against Oklahoma. I think, in my opinion, it's only been one game, so I know this is a recency bias. Yes. But... Until he plays himself out of that game, I'm not worried about any other quarterbacks. And as of right now, 
Jed has earned that position, and it's only been two games. He can even get better. I mean, there's we've talked about there's plenty of completion percentage, plenty of things he can work on. So I think that's not the main issue right now. There are other injuries like Adrian Fry and people like that that they need to get back. But as far as the quarterback, they have enough to win a few more games of the season right now. Sure. Next question from a uh, longtime listener, first-time tweeter. Does Ryan King look more like Matt Rule's kid or David Collier's kid? David Collier's kid. Okay, so a little back two, two peas in a pod. I will yes. put out a tweet here after we, after we tape this for Absolutely. people to vote. Yes. Growing up, not growing up, in college, whenever the whole R. Bryles thing happened, you know, Temple was big, and I remember seeing him, but people don't really watch Temple, so I was like, yeah, that's fine, because I noticed it pretty quickly. Um, but right after that, when Baylor said, welcome in new head coach Matt Rule, I got multiple friends, probably five or six, that quote to me and said, congrats to Ryan King for getting the head coaching job at Baylor. So, wow, but they didn't, do kind of look alike. They did not know who David Collier was. Now that I've come here and I got the job here, I do think it's, it's Mr. Collier there. I do think we are. Oh, Matt, Mr. Collier. Matt, Matt Rule and I do not have similar hair. We do not have similar beards like Collier and I do. Um, but we'll let the fans decide on this one. You guys can give me your opinions. I would say I it's go, Collier. I go Collier as I well. I go Collier, but that's re, uh, recency bias as you like to see it. Say it. It is, but look at Matt Rule's beard. That is nothing like Collier's saw it. or the I hair. Saw you know, it's, I get, I, hey, I'm not shying away from it. I like Matt Rule. I'd love to go to a press conference sometime. You just like Collier a little more. It's all right. I, yeah. I can't stand him, you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if I go to a press conference with Matt Rule, I'd love that. I'd love just to meet him sometime. Um, you should go there and be like, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> Just sit in, the, sit in the back there. But, you know, I, uh, I'm flattered by – both of them have uh, achieved a lot in their career, so I'm, I'm totally fine with either one of them. Uh, very very politically correct answer there. Yeah, I, I will take uh, the creativity of David Collier or the money of Matt Rule. <laughs> I'll, I'll take either one. So I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, it's, there's worse doppelgangers out there. I'm going to say Collier is the younger version of you and Matt Rule may be the more uh... – Vintage version of you. Vintage. So, so that's how I'll look at what middle age and then older. Is that vintage. what you're saying? Vintage. Vintage. I say I like they're both pretty similar vintage. ages. That, I would imagine they're. Let's see how. Old old uh, Matt Rule's 44. I don't know how old Collier is. Well, we, we can't discuss that. Yeah, He's going to be around. Yeah, that. yeah that he will. So, but uh, anything else you all wanted to ask? Uh, I got a couple that I can throw out just because uh, we're at about 37 minutes. Uh, I don't want to keep you all because I know you all are busy with your lives and everything else. But um, my thing, uh, UTEP, Texas Tech exhibition game on saturday what are you guys kind of expecting from the old men's basketball team i know it's a little bit early but uh obviously a lot of um a lot of words being spoken about chris beard and his squad just because of the way that football started but seems to have died down a little bit now with that big win over uh, oklahoma state uh by the red raiders and matt wells but certainly a lot of good things for chris beard kind of coming off a national title appearance you lose a lot of the players that did aid you to that but in a way you kind of replace them with younger talent so it's going to be interesting to see how they are looked at early on because a lot of people are high on chris beard and company for good reason he's obviously done some good things but the thing is is they've got a lot of young talent yes they bring back some guys kyler edwards who had 12 points and i believe the the national title game, I believe three threes in that game. Uh, you have Avery Benson who comes back. He's a good uh, kind of spark guy, likes to dive on the floor a lot. But Davide Moretti is kind of that key piece that you're looking at. You want to see, can he take that next step after the the crazy numbers that he averaged where you're 90% from the free throw line, you're 30% or better from the three-point line, and, of course, you're, I believe it was uh, 60% or better 
uh, from just the two-point line. So can you get that much better with Davide Moretti? I believe he can, but the thing is, is can the rest of his teammates get that much better? And that's what Chris Beard always talks about, is you have to be better than the next day. This team's going to probably be a little different than what you've seen before because they're so young, but I think maybe middle of the season, probably right before Big 12, I think this that's when you're going to see what type of team you have. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be so many growing pains. I mean, there are only two returners. I don't really count Benson because he didn't play much last year. You got Edwards and Moretti. That's it. So many freshmen, so many grad transfers. This is well, this is obviously probably the most talent Chris Beard's ever had, but probably the biggest learning curve this team's ever going to have to go through. So, I mean, you'll see it. I mean, that's what the non-con's for, right? And then once conference play rolls around, they'll be good like, like always. The one good thing you saw was uh, during that Bahamas trip that they had, they were able to get those 10 practices in. You got to see what you had. Jemias Ramsey seems like a real talented player. Terrence Shannon seems like a real talented player. Davide Moretti, maybe the fact that he got injured was somewhat of a silver lining because you got to see those two freshmen play more minutes than maybe you would have had you seen Davide Moretti on the floor or were Chris you, Clark on the floor. Were you down in the Bahamas with them? I was not. You uh, should have been sipping some uh, some pina coladas getting caught in the rain. Unfortunately, I couldn't because we had to pay for y'all to be here, remember? Oh, oh yeah. Sorry about that. Enjoy your vase water there. Oh. So with this basketball team, John took the words right out of my mouth as far as I think there's going to be a very steep learning curve. I can see um, some growing pains early on where they have – Houston Baptist one of these teams where they end up winning by like seven. People are freaking out. What you know? Maybe this team doesn't have the same cohesiveness. I can just see that in the first month or so. Uh, Davide is going to have to be huge. But who does he always? Who does Chris Beard always talk about? It's always about the seniors. Always, always, always about the seniors. So Clark, and Holyfield. Clark and Holyfield are going to be massive for this team. I think that's who Beard's going to rely on. I think that's who this team's going to have to rely on outside of Davide and probably. I mean, Kyler is still a sophomore, very talented guy. And then, of course, like everyone else, I just can't wait to see Jemias being oh, that yeah. ever occurred. I just, I want to see him play. I want to see. You can see it on social media. A lot of people talking about how he's not a Chris Beard guy. He's more of a me first, doing his alley oops and all that. But I'm, if Chris Beard's bringing him in, he's not going to bring in a guy he's worried about fitting into his culture. So I'm very, I'm very much curious, not just to see how he plays, but see how he fits into a team, you know, atmosphere. Uh, not that we're going to learn a whole lot from you know an exhibition game. It's a great great thing they're doing. Um, Absolutely, El Paso strong. Yeah, El Paso strong. Are you going to be there for that? I will be there. In oh, the old he's going. Town. He's going home. Oh, you're going think... to cra- crash with the rents? Of course, man. Good, free, <laughs> free hotel, free couple free meals. You know, free meals. Save that money for us. Yeah, absolutely. Got, got to save. Got, got to help the old. Uh, got to help the company. It's very curious, company man. I just want to see how this new team gels because it's going to be their first game yeah. to really get out there. Not that. They're going to gel in this first game already. Yeah. I just want to see if they have – because it felt like last year. I mean, you guys had to feel – it just felt like that team was together from, from when they got together. I mean, it probably took a little bit. But that team, when they were together, the team defense they played, this, the way they played is why they got so deep. You had a lot no of returners. Question. You had a lot of returners, but you had two guys, and I will probably go to the grave saying this, Matt Mooney and Tariq Owens. If they did not play the way that they did, they do not make that run. No question. Well, the main thing I'm curious to see, two years ago – okay – in college basketball, you guys know this. At the end of the game, yeah, like your system, whatever. But at the end of the game, you need a guy to take over. If it's close, you need a guy that you can rely on to give the ball to and be like, hey, get us a bucket. Two years ago, it was Keenan Evans. Last year, it was Jarrett Culver. This year, who's going to step up? Who's going to take that role? Will it be Moretti? Will it be Kyler Edwards? Will it be Jemias? Is he ready for that type of stage? Will it be even Terrence Shannon? Who knows? But that's uh, that's the biggest question mark that I'm looking forward to seeing who fills that void. Isn't it great also that there's so many options, though? Yeah, You're bringing in Holyfield, you know, like who knows? Maybe it could be, it could be Kyler and uh, Davide, like you mentioned. Could be 
Jemias, we don't know. Like, I, I think that's, I do agree that it's a big thing of who's going to be taking that shot, but I do think it's a good problem to have that they're, as of right now, without having seen the team, there's probably six, seven guys that if they tomorrow played a game and they were taking the last shot, you'd probably feel pretty confident whether it was because of his skill or experience. And that's a good thing to have instead of going into last year. I think, not that this was a weakness last year, but you knew, I mean, it was going to be Culver. You, know, you knew he was taking that shot. So I'm, I, it is curious this year, maybe there'll be multiple of them. Who knows? Yeah. Two things that kind of uh, struck me by you guys. I know you talk about the seniors, the grad transfers. They're interesting grad transfers in that neither of them played the year prior. So yep. they're going to be getting used to obviously some basketball. They're obviously hungry. They want to win again. They know the history that Texas Tech has with graduate transfers, starting with Tommy Hamilton and some of the other guys before them. But uh, one other thing that is really going to kind of stand out for this team, they're going to play some really good defense. They are long. They're athletic. They're fast. You may see them press a little bit more and maybe force the issue with all these young guys. I think it'll behoove them to press and try and create some points off turnovers early on because sometimes when you got a young team, you're going to make some mistakes and you kind of have to make up for that. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Chris Beard and company to overcome are the turnovers. One thing that he's always preached, 10 turnovers or less. That'll help you at mm-hmm. least statistically win games. If they're able to do that, I think that's going to be a fun team to watch just the way that they're going to be playing defense. And I think I agree with both of y'all with the exhibition. You may not see a lot, but I think it's going to be interesting to see the type of combinations that you see them use uh, in terms of can you go big, can you go small, can you go fast, are you going to go shooters. That's what this all is for, you know, that's, to experiment. That's exactly one thing I'm going to be watching for when uh, they, they do go play over there at the old Don Haskins Center. But I think uh, the the true – true thing that you will see is how deep will this bench go because last year you saw how deep it went at first it went to 10 then it went down a little then all of a sudden you kind of see once conference play starts it goes down to eight can you make it a little bit deeper because if you do this team could be really dangerous because you've got a lot of scores Terrence Shannon, Jemias Ramsey are two guys that stand out in terms of freshmen you've got Davide Moretti who can make shots when you need it You've got Kyler Edwards who can make some shots if you need it. He obviously showed that in the national championship game and during that run. Uh, he can make shots. He's obviously gotten better. He's a better. A lot of uh, playmakers, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The playmaker. You got a lot of guys that can obviously handle the ball. Kevin McCuller, a guy that sat out. Andre Savrasov, is he going to be in the mix in terms of getting some rebounds, being a role player in terms of that? Uh, you obviously have Russell Tequa. Uh, everyone has been kind of uh, beaming about how fast he is. I know you, you kind of think seven-footer, and you don't think he's the fastest guy. Chris Beard says he's the most conditioned guy on the team. So should be interesting to see what this team has. We'll see what what they have. But uh, anything else from you guys? Because it seems like it's a very uh, very low day on the Twitters. But that's, like I said, because Don has more followers. So. I was going to say, too, uh, make sure to check out some of our um, high school football coverage. On the, oh, shameless plug. On the big Love three, it. Four. On the yes. big three, four at uh, Football Friday on uh, at 10 o'clock after the news at 9 on Friday nights. Where will you be, buddy? Where will I be? I will be grabbing Estacado, hosting Borger, yep. and then um, I believe Plainview's at Cooper. Should be some good so, ones. Yeah, those two should end up being pretty pretty bad slaughters, mm-hmm. I'd say. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the Estacado Matadors play because— Looking uh, to go 7-0. and 7-0 and potentially. Lubbock Cooper, Cooper LaFaber. Uh, quarterback there, he's really <laughs> oh, yeah. good. 
Ryan, what, uh, uh, do you have to plug for yourself? Sir? I'll be at the same games. If you want a picture with really, John, I'll make sure to take it with you. There you uh, go. We should we should car or take it for you. I should say. Yeah. You okay. want to rent a car? Maybe. Sure. <laughs> uh, Estacado Burger. I'll be at the whole game. Yeah. Um, before the game, we're doing a feature on Jeremiah Dobbins. Oh. Uh, so make sure to catch that. KLBK once again. Uh, obviously, we do our Friday night show. Yep. That's the game I'll be at. We'll be at plenty of others, but me personally. Live before and after from Estacado trying to go 7-0. and Yep. Uh, don't have a bye week until week, like 10 or so, so they got to yep. keep this rolling. But Jeremiah feature coming out on Friday. Uh, make sure to hit the— Can't wait to watch. Hit the, thank you, John. Hit the uh, follow on Twitter. I'm trying to get to 1,000. I could, I only need 53 more, so I'm, I, I really need this. You uh, may do it. Twitter is at Ryan underscore King underscore now, at Ryan underscore King underscore now. Uh, and make sure to go to Twitter to vote on if I look more like David Collier or Matt Rowe. Interactive. For, for, first, we turn into a betting podcast when Don says he takes the points against Oklahoma State. Now we're interactive. Exactly I like right. it. Sokolov, what's your Twitter? Uh, I'm just at J-O-N and then S-O-K-O-L-O-F-F at John Sokoloff. That's me on there. Simple. Do you want to like see how... some, some steamy takes? Go there. There you go. Simple, just like uh, this podcast is. Appreciate y'all listening. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Listen to another edition of the Red Raider podcast brought to you by AJ Media. Appreciate y'all listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>